and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life in excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Welcome back to the New Life Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Ben, and I am once again joined with Pastor Eric, our discipleship pastor here at New Life. And we are continuing a conversation today about life groups. So if you missed last week, go ahead and, and go back and catch up. But today we're going to continue into this and dive deep into the topic of life groups. So we're going we're gonna to get right into it right away. As we look at our mission and vision here at, at New Life as a church, we see that it's, it's very simple. It's really straightforward. It's transformed hearts, transformed lives, transformed community, and transformed world. So it's pretty clear what we are about, it's pretty clear what we are expecting God to do in our lives. We're expecting transformation, the transformation that is promised in, in God's word, the new life that we we find in Christ. So the question is, how does God do this in our lives? So we're going to open this up to Pastor Eric, and he's going to guide us through this portion of our conversation together today. Yeah, so um, this is probably going to be one of the biggest things that separates... In- that separates a uh, new life as a Lutheran church from our neighbors who aren't Lutheran. And from the outside looking in, a lot of things are going to look similar. A lot of how we shape our life together is going to look similar. Um, but how we understand the transformation process um, is is going to be a little bit different. And and what I found is as I've been having conversations, I I did not come from well pastor and you didn't either. You know, we didn't come out of the Lutheran tradition. We came to it from outside of it. And so you and I were both convinced by it um a little bit more objectively. We we weren't raised in it. We weren't um we weren't familiar with it. We we researched it and um came to the conclusion that we think that this is right. Um, so for us, for us, you know, the Lutheranism is very vibrant and it's very distinctive. That's kind of how we both um, understand it and how we both have come to it. And so um, one of the things I've noticed is um, when we talk about things like transformation, Lutherans have a distinct understanding of transformation and our practice follows it. Like our practice it directly correlates with how we understand transformation to happen. And, uh, and I found that in a lots of other, uh, my conversations with people outside of the Lutheran church, oftentimes they'll affirm, uh, how we understand transformation and they'll say, yeah, like I can buy into that. I believe, I, I think that we agree on this. Um, but oftentimes the practice doesn't. And so let, let's get into it and then we'll kind of, um, work backwards. So for, we go to a couple of key passages to find uh, what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And um, a couple of those are Romans 6, 4, 
where Paul says, therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. And then Colossians chapter 2 says, you were buried with him through baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So those two passages, and then there's another one in Galatians, um, they kind of sit at the um, center of what we understand the Christian does. So for us as Lutherans, we are convinced by scripture that, that um, I cannot do any good. There's nothing that I can do to earn my salvation. There's nothing I can do um, to make myself right with God. My will is completely bound to the flesh, uh, to selfish desires, to these sorts of things. And so what needs to happen is not me making a decision because I can't make a decision for Jesus. I actually can't commit my life to Jesus. What needs to happen is I need to die. And God has given us a way to die before we die. And that way is through um, baptism, where our old self is put to death and we are resurrected with Jesus Christ. And so now as a Christian, a baptized Christian, we look back and the basic pattern of the Christian life is that of dying to ourselves and being resurrected with Jesus. So as we die to ourselves, as we say no to ourselves, God, through the Holy Spirit, is actually filling us and bringing us back to life. Um, and that's why here in Romans 6, uh, Paul says, you were buried together with Christ through, his, uh, through baptism into his death. Um, and just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you too can walk in newness of life. That as we die, as we say no to ourselves and die to ourselves, God raises us up and we actually live in a newness of life. And this is the basic pattern of the Christian life is daily dying, daily um, slaying our old self um, or the old Adam, as uh, Paul talks about it, and the and God resurrecting us through the Holy Spirit um, into the new Adam. So the way that we understand transformation is the thing that I do is die. The thing that I do um, is I have to die to myself and say no to myself, say no to my flesh, say no to my selfish desires, and God actually brings brings us up into new life. So it's completely, um, the fancy word for it is Lutherans are monergists. God does everything. He gives us the gifts. He gives us the gift of faith. He gives us everything uh, we need, and there's nothing we can do to earn. There's nothing we can do to progress. There's nothing we can do to get better. It's all God doing the work, and all we can do is say no to ourselves, die to ourselves, and God, it's a completely kind of passive righteousness where God makes us better. And so we might say the, the Christian life is progressive. Um, we do get better, but we are not the ones who make ourselves better. We can't plan for it. We can't uh, work for it. Um, it is God who does it to us. So when we talk about the Christian life um, and transformation, basically, theologically, that's how transformation happens. Dying and that's marked by baptism. So you can point to your baptism. You can say, this is when my old self died. 
I'm still wrestling with some of the residual effects. I'm still wrestling with the corruption. I'm still fully sin- sinful right now, um, but I'm also fully redeemed. And God is resurrecting me uh, with Jesus into newness of life every day. That's the basic pattern of transformation, dying to self and being resurrected with Jesus Christ. So as we look at that from a kind of basic pattern, like, like Pastor Eric was talking about, as Lutherans, we see baptism as the starting blocks, but also the finish line. Mm. And so when that happens, it is done, not because of anything that we've done, because of what God has done. And then after that, we're on the victory lap the rest of our lives, Mm -hmm. just getting what God has, has given us, you know, wrapped in his flag and hearing all the cheering crowd and all those things. So it's, it's, it's a little bit different than maybe uh, some of you have understood because of the experience you grew up in. For example, you know, Pastor Eric and I grew up in a different flavor of understanding. So my personal journey was that I wasn't baptized till I was 18. So in my vocabulary before that moment, I would have used the decision vocabulary, right? When I was five, I made a decision. Now, I don't get too worked about, about that because um, even that term is probably just an understanding, a, a misconstrued understanding of what's happening. Uh, you know, what has really transpired is the Holy Spirit has worked on your life and drawn you to yourself. And then that's the vocabulary that you have decided to use to say that I did something when in actuality, you couldn't even use that vocabulary unless the Holy Spirit has already worked. So the question is, not everyone falls in a simplistic pattern. In Lutheran churches, sometimes I think we assume that people should, right? You, right. You're raised in the church, you get baptized into the church, you are catechized in the church, you know, all these things. You stand up, you profess your faith when you're 14 years old, and we just fall through these patterns of marriage and burial and all these things. So the question is, how do we understand people or how do we um, interact with people who haven't followed this classic order, right? Maybe who haven't been baptized. Do we have to worry about their salvation? Uh, you know, what do we, what do we do with that? Right. So, so the way that I think about this is first Peter chapter three, Peter talks about baptism. He says it now saves you. And he says, what it does for you is give you, it gives you a, a clean conscience. It gives you a clear conscience. So for example, um, I grew up in a similar environment that you did, Ben. Um, same kind of like decision theology. And when I was in high school, I, I I made a decision for Jesus probably when I was eight, seven or eight or something like that. And I was baptized. And the way that I understood baptism was it's a public proclamation of my private faith. Like that's what I was coached to say. That's what I was coached to believe. Um, was that baptism is a public proclamation. I am publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. And and then all through high school, I was wrestling and struggling and didn't actually think that I was saved because, um, because the way that I was taught and the way that I was um, discipled when I was younger was that... um, I am saved because of my belief in Jesus, that it is my my decision to buy into this particular scheme of salvation. That's what saved me. Jesus Christ died for me, but I had to believe in Jesus Christ for his 
sacrifice to be efficacious for it to actually perform the thing that it performed uh, for it to actually work on me. I had to believe in that thing. And, um, and so all through high school, I wrestled with this and I was like, am I even a Christian because I still struggle with these sins? And because I, um, you know, do I actually really believe, do I really, really, really believe? And I, you know, rededicated my life several times, right? Cause it's like this time I really, really, really mean it. And then of course I would go off the rails and like, well, did I really mean it this time? You know, those sorts of things. And, um, and I remember one time, I don't know if they were Jehovah's witnesses or Mormons or whatever. Um, someone knocked on the door. I was home alone. I was probably in middle school. Um, and they asked the question, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And I just said, well, I don't know. And I had grown up in the church, right? And I, cause I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. I vividly remember this. Um, uh, these people knocking on the door and asking that question and me not knowing the answer to that. Um, because in my mind, I was like, well, I did sin today. So if I die, I haven't asked for forgiveness yet. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's that kind of thing. And so what, Peter seems to be indicating is that baptism is something that we can point to, uh, much like um, when God made the promise to Noah uh, that he wasn't going to flood the earth again, and he gave the the sign of the rainbow. It's something that I can point to, that Noah and his family, they could point to that thing and say, God, you made a promise to us that you weren't going to destroy the earth again, that the earth was going to be a safe place for us. Baptism acts like that on us. It saves us, and and it's something that we can look at and point to and say, God, that is when you saved me. That is when you gave me those promises. So um, the, the, that, there's that standard question, if you were to die and go to heaven and God was to meet you at the pearly gates and say, why should I let you in, right? What's going to be your answer? The answer for a Lutheran Christian is because on this particular date, on my baptism, you told me that you saved me. Scripture tells me that baptism now saves and I was baptized. Here it is. You made the promise to me. So that's the different. That's one of the big differences. Now, baptism is not the only way that God saves. So I think it's better to be baptized than not be baptized. But the Holy Spirit can, in fact, work on a person um, and give them faith, bring them to faith, bring them to trust in the work of Jesus Christ without baptism. But the thing that baptism does is that it performs the act for it performs the act on us, and then it acts as a a, a covenant, a promise that we can look at and say, "God, you told me on this day that I was saved." So it's always going to be better to be baptized than not be baptized because it's going to give us a clear, a clean conscience. It's going to give us a thing that we can point to and say, this is when God saved me is on this date. Um, I know I, I have a memory of that day, right? I have a memory of that day cause I was older. Um, but you know, my children, my two boys, uh, two years old and nine months old, I know exactly the date that they were baptized and I'm, on that date, we celebrate with them. We light our baptismal candles and we tell them that this is when God saved them. And they are always going to be able to say, I know I'm saved because on September 29th, 2000, now I have to remember my son's um, baptismal date. It'd be 2017, September 29th, 2017. I was baptized and that's when God saved me. So it gives us a clear, a clean conscience. So that can happen whether or not you're baptized when you're a baby or you're baptized when you're 25, or you're baptized when you're 85. Um, 
baptism still does that same work, but you can certainly have faith outside of baptism, but it's just better to be baptized. And one thing you said was really good. You talked about the baptismal candle, right? And so obviously what is the the purpose of a candle is to provide light so you can see what you're supposed to see. Mm. And so when we baptize a kid, we give them a baptismal candle, right? So they can shine the light on the faith that God is putting in their life. But also when we baptize an adult, we give them a candle because what are we doing? We're shining a light on the faith that God has given them. And so in, in both instances, we are saved because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, baptism is a beautiful gift that God has given us, a promise he has given us, so we can feel that security like Pastor Eric was talking about. Well, we're going to move on to kind of our, our next layer of this. And we're going to talk about another classical Lutheran transformational principle. And it's something that we call law and gospel. And if you grew up in a different church setting, you've probably heard like grace and truth or something of that nature, Uh, both kind of land in the same camp. They aren't always, I would say the Lutheran tradition has the best utilization of it, Um, but you might have heard those types of terms that kind of have this correlation. So can you explain to us how this works in our lives and, and how it helps us truly understand God's word in a clear fashion? Right. So this is a big, um, a big piece of Lutheran theology in Lutheran Christian life. Um, and essentially what, what Lutherans have done throughout the last 500 years is they've, they've utilized, um, this language from Paul, especially found in Romans and in Galatians of the law, which, um, Paul was talking about the old Testament in those books and the gospel, um, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ, Lutherans have taken that language and they've they've applied it to um, the ways that God has worked all throughout Scripture. So not just in the law codes found in um, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, um, but in, and not just in the work of Jesus Christ. Although the gospel is, it climaxes in Jesus Christ, but they've applied it to. Um, understanding that God kind of speaks to us in two primary ways. He gives us commands and he gives us promises. And so all throughout scripture, we see these commands and these promises. And then the Lutheran church has explored um, and they've looked back on the early church as well. Um, what scripture has said, what the how the, the fathers of the early church, the patristics, have kind of worked through things. And Lutherans have kind of laid this language of law and gospel on top of this kind of agreed upon or, or this kind of theme that we see in, in Scripture and in the early church fathers. And it's essentially this, that when God makes a command to us, um, including um, a command that Jesus gives, what that thing does to us, what that command does to us more than anything is it breaks our um, breaks our pride. It makes us realize that we actually can't keep the things that God commands us. So Jesus gives the command, do not worry. Do not worry. Now, of course, right, we're going to end up worrying because we're weak. Um, we're fleshly. We're self-centered. So, of course, we're going to worry. And then what that law does is that it reveals to us that because we worry, um, not only can we not keep God's command, but now we're also like, we're kind of guilty twice because we, first of all, we worry and then we are guilty because Jesus told us not to worry. So God gives us these commands uh, primarily 
uh, to show us that we can't do it ourselves. Now, we would agree that um, kind of on the back, uh, the kind of the, the flip side of every command is grace for us. So every command that God that God gives does in fact um, give us good instruction for us to draw wisdom out of. And I believe by the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we can be obedient to God, right? So um, there's kind of this like flip side where not the rules can't be flesh, but they can be fulfilled um, by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So the law is these commands that God gives to us, and the gospel is the promises that God gives to us. So the promises are almost always, um, essentially always unearned. Um. So, for example, a good one is First uh, Peter chapter three: baptism now saves you. That's that's a promise. It's not a command. Um, there is no um, in that in that language. There's no like threat of obedience. It's just a promise. It is simply because God gives it to us that we are. Um, saved by baptism. Like that is just a promise to us. Um, those types of, that type of language is all promise language. So that makes us, that's when we are, um, this kind of passive recipient of God's gift to us. So the law works on us and it helps us die to ourselves because we realize that we can't keep the commands of God. And the gospel then is what resurrects us. If we're going to be using that Romans six language, because it, makes us aware of God's work in our life and it gives us something to put our faith in. Okay. God told me, uh, so a great example is Galatians five, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, um, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, um, and self-control. That's the fruit of the spirit. Did I forget one in there, Ben? (laughs) Um, but that's a, but the, the fruit of the spirit is another good example where in Galatians chapter five, there's no, um, there's no threat. No, hey, you need to have these things in your life. It says, it says the fruit of the spirit is. If you have the spirit, you have these fruits. They are yours. Um, you you can rest assured that God uh, makes good on His word. So trust. Have faith in the work of God, giving you those fruit. So the basic Christian life, um, the the basic uh, way that we live as Christians is this kind of law and gospel dynamic where we are put to death and then we are raised up in Christ. So um, that death through the law that happens to us, um, uh, we see it all throughout scripture. And one of the, the first place or one of the main places we see is that Jesus says, unless you pick up your cross to follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And, and what Jesus was saying that he was talking literally about, like going and dying with me, right? Unless you pick up your cross and follow me up to Golgotha to be crucified, you can't be my disciple. And the way that we, um, the way that we die, the way that we pick up our cross is through the word of the law that's given to us. Um, so it's given to us so that we know we need him so that we know we can't, um, do it ourselves. And the Holy spirit, um, enters into us through the word of God, through the word of the law. And it awakens us to our neediness and to our sin. Um, and it makes us realize that we need Jesus Christ to come in and to save us. We need the gospel. We need God's promises because otherwise we can't do it ourselves. Um, so this is why um, I found um, so much um, 
why why I think that Lutheranism connected with the way that I had experienced the faith and the way that I had experienced my pastoral ministry. That's because I did I've done a lot of work with addicts. And uh, and you have to have what they call the rock bottom experience. You have to come to this awareness. Um, and actually, in in the um, sermon that I'm preaching here, um, the time of this recording, it's before I do it. But when it's published, it'll be after I, I preach a sermon. Is the uh, prodigal son, and he has a moment where he it says he he came to himself. He realized. Um, and, and in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit awakens us to realizing that I need somebody else to do this work for me, that I can't adequately do it. And that matches perfectly with AA, the 12-step program. The first three or four steps is just that, realizing that I am completely useless on my own, um, I'm helpless on my own, and I need someone, I need something other than me to come in and fix me and to solve the problem. And so this is much different than what our world tells us, which our world tells us, um, popular psychology tells us, you are enough. You have enough. You are. Um, you have everything you need. Um, and so this is where we would probably find a lot of rub with the world right now, is our message is just the opposite. You are not good enough. You do not have enough. Um, but luckily, there's somebody who wants to give you everything you need. So really, our identity is found in somebody else. And our identity is found in this great gift giver to us, um, which I think is a much healthier way. And so uh, we need to hit rock bottom. We need to die. Um, and this doesn't necessarily need to be emotional. Um, it, it wasn't, um, it hasn't been particularly emotional for me. Like I, uh, there, there was never a moment. Um, I had moments of great emotion when I was rededicating my life to Jesus. Um, realizing that that was kind of a useless endeavor because there's no there's no amount of dedication I could have that would save me. Um, but it wasn't a particularly emotional event for me either, realizing that I wasn't good enough and being told I wasn't good enough. Um, and actually, it was actually quite joy, joyful. Um, so you don't need to have a big emotional experience um, because uh, we just need to come to that realization. We just need to know that we're messed up. Um, so we're not looking for, um, you know, the big emotional high then with like an altar call style thing, you know, that's not what we're going for here. That's not what we're looking for. Um, we're looking for, um, people to realize that the way up is down, that the way for them to get healthy is to recognize their unhealthiness. The way that people, for people to get saved is to recognize they can't save themselves. That's the work of the law. That's the work. That's the word of the law in our lives. And then um, after the law, after we hit rock bottom, um, then we're given the, the gospel. We're given the promises um, of God. We're raised with Christ um, as we have been talking about. And, and as I've been thinking about this, um, there are kind of two, two things that mark, I think, um, kind of two highlights that mark the life of the Christian once they've been given the promises and they, they put their trust in the promises. Um, and the, the language that I'm using is freedom and love. Um, and so through the word of promise, God gives us these promises. You baptism now saves you. Um, and these sorts of things, he gives us these promises and, um, it does something to us. It, it, he gives us his righteousness. He clears us of our guilt. He makes it so that when he looks at us, he sees Christ. Um, he washes away our sin. Uh, in Isaiah, uh, 
God actually, he tells the Israelites, he says, it's for my sake that I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to forgive your sins that I'm going to uh, look away from them. I'm actually going to turn my head from them. And so we have a God who forgives and forgets. He doesn't forgive and say, okay, now we need to, here are the four steps for you to live better. He just, he forgives and forgets. He just turns his head from our sin. Um, he, it is, it is as if it never happened. Um, in his mind, it has not happened. Um, and, and the, this, this produces within us, um, a change. It produces within us a transformation. It brings us to life. And then I think freedom and love kind of mark, um, the Christian life after that. And this freedom that we have, it's a, it's a freedom from, um, death, first of all. So we no longer fear death, um, which is an important thing for, especially as we get closer to the ends of our life. Um, it, we don't have this like, and this was much more important, um, not much more important, but it was uh, much more urgent in Martin Luther's time when there was like the black plague and all these horrible things right before then. And I mean, people didn't live long. So everyone lived in the, with the fear of death constantly. Um, but we no longer fear death, which is huge. Um, we no longer fear hell. We no longer fear eternal damnation, um, which is therapeutic. That's cathartic. That's good for us. Um, but we're also free from the fear of failure because we're going to fail. Like, it's not like, um, it's not like we have, if we try hard enough, we won't fail. We know we're, we're very honest that we will fail again and God's going to forgive us and forget it. And so it frees us from that fear of getting it wrong. And it frees us from living, like walking on eggshells. Um, and it also frees us from sin, that uh, sin and guilt no longer have a hold on our hearts. Um, and this is, uh, and just as I, I think that the Roman church recognized in Martin Luther, when he realized um, and started proclaiming that God um, gives us his grace totally on account of the fact that he's a good gift giver and not because of us. I think they realized how dangerous a free man actually is. Um, that now I don't really care if my neighbors think I'm weird. You know, I don't really care if my neighbors don't like me. I don't really care if um, the people in our community uh, don't like the way that um, we, we proclaim this gospel because it is an absolutely free gift to us. And now we are absolutely free. Um, and that's a dangerous place to be that, that now I no longer have to be afraid of even, you know, in our, in our context as pastors, like I don't have to be afraid of, um, the people in our church who may not like, um, me or the way that, uh, we're, we're doing things because we are absolutely free. And, and that's, I mean, that's just really cathartic. Um, and so for me, there's this kind of boldness. There's a self confidence. It's not self-confidence. There's a confidence. Um, and there's a freedom that we get when we, when we're really come to the awareness that God has absolutely forgiven us. Um, man, it, we're like, uh, yeah, it's almost like a calf loosed from its stall and we are just bucking and dancing and running around. And what a great place, um, what a great place to be. So we are given freedom by that. Um, so then we're free to go into our vocations, whatever that might be. 
Um, and we just we just do our best, which is why, um, and I know I've said this before, but this is why Martin Luther, in um, in a tongue in cheek manner, said sin boldly, just like just go for it, um, go for the gold, uh, do do as much good as you can, because why not? Why not just try? You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. Uh, preach the gospel as much as you can, because why not? Just go for it. And that's kind of the the scandal of the Lutheran tradition is that we just kind of let God's word do its thing. And we don't say, hey, now that God has forgiven you, you better shape up, right? Don't sin anymore. Um, we just are like, the word's going to do what it wants. And so we just unleash the word into the hearts and into the ears and hearts of the hearers of our congregation. And we just know that it's going to do its thing where it wants to. Um, and that leads to love. That leads to... Um, this mark of love in the Christian life where um, the spirit fills us, he fills us and he, he empowers us to walk in this newness of life. And therefore we can now we get to love our neighbor. It's no longer a, you have to love your neighbor or you're uh, going to go to hell. It's now we get to love our neighbor. So we get to live in this freedom and the freedom is um, for the good of our neighbors. So then we, uh, proclaim the gospel to them. We uh, serve the poor. We um, we fight for um, the justice for those for we, where there is injustice. We fight for it, um, not because we're social activists, not because we we think it makes us better than others, but because we're free. And so, um, why not? Why not help those who are hurting? Why not help um, the attic? Why not help? Um, a family who is struggling um, because I might end up living in a cardboard box, but I don't give a rip. I'm absolutely and totally free. Um, so it kind of gives us this reckless abandon in serving our neighbor. Um, and so it's kind of for love that we are given this freedom. Um, and so we go to our neighbor and we love them and care for them um, because we can, we get to, um, and because we're totally free. As you guys are listening to this, you're probably thinking, especially if you're not from a Lutheran context, where does my church fall in this or what is my church like in regards to this? So as I was listening, I was thinking there's really three categories of churches. I would say there's the law, law church, L A W, not L A L A la la land, uh, but law, law church. There's the gospel law church. And then there's the law and gospel church, which is what we were just talking about. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, there's the, the, the law and then the law church. And I think for this church, what it looks like is, you, you, you get on the starting block, right? There's a relationship with Jesus and you, you see the law, you see you need Jesus, and then you think, okay, so this is how I get to Jesus. The next thing I do is I climb this ladder as if Jesus is sitting on this peak. And if I can just climb up there, then I can, I can make it, right? And so how I kind of view that is you have to do something again to get where you need to go. That's the, the law, law church. And you might have felt like, okay, my church is kind of like that. Or there's the the gospel law church, which is, hey, you've been saved because of what Christ did for you, and now you got to do things well, right? And there's this expectation. And what that looks like is this. It's like the stair stepper at the gym. You know, the, the stair stepper continues. It's ongoing. You have to keep walking up. And if you stop walking, you're going to get tossed off the backside. And so there's that, right? It's the Jesus saved me, but I got to be good now. Right. And as soon as I'm not good, I'm going to fall off the backside of this stair stepper. Right. Right. And that's, that's a lot of our churches, honestly, in America, yeah. it's kind of like Mostly. that you've been saved. 
you better keep walking. As soon as you you stop walking, you're going to get tossed off the back yeah. and, and you're done. And I will say also that um, I I doubt that many churches um, in the United States would would say, oh, yeah, that's what we believe. Most of them would, would say, no, that's not what we believe. We believe that it's a free gift, right? Most of them would say, would affirm Lutheran doctrine, um, but by their practice, they demand certain things after you found Jesus um, that are extra, that are not not from Scripture, but are extra rules that they've given um, in order to dictate what the Christian life looks like. Yeah, for a lot of people, it's kind of like, what do you, what have you internalized from that, which gives you a pretty good clear understanding of what has been taught or what has been implied the whole way. So you might have felt like you were in that context. And then, of course, what we just talked about is the the law gospel, which the law destroys us, lets us know we're not good enough, we need Jesus. And then in a Lutheran church, so you're going to hear it in sermons two separate ways. You're going to hear it like that, right? You're not good enough, you need Jesus. He does all the work, he saves you, right? This idea of the starting block is also the finish line, you know? And so you you are on the starting block because God put you there, and then you cross the finish line, and then you're on the victory lap. Mm-hmm. And that's where the third use of the, of the law comes in. And so as you hear preaching at New Life, you're going to hear those two categories, and this is what the second one looks like. It looks like this. The law comes back to us as a gift. And how uh, Pastor Eric and I talked about the other day in a meeting together was, it's like you're on a victory lap, and there's little pieces of candy Right. or carrots if you want to be healthy, right? That you pick up along the way that God is giving back to you, right? right? Don't behave this way because it's going to do damage to your life. And you're free to pick that up, right? Pick it up, put it into your life, and it received the benefit right. of it. So it's that kind of idea that we're on the victory lap, but God is like rewarding us along the way right. if we choose to uh, receive those things. I mean, he wants to be loving towards us. So that's kind of the categories that I put churches into. And as you're thinking about your church, you probably have planted it firmly in one of those camps. And if that's what you're receiving, maybe uh, it's time to consider maybe how you've been looking at it. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not even with the teaching. Maybe it's just how you've internalized it. But if that is the teaching, maybe it's time for a change, Right. right? Maybe it's time to go back to something that's it's probably closer in line with what God is actually doing in our lives. Right. Yeah. I like, I, I liked how you, you talked about that that other day where it was like, yeah, they're just little treats that we're following along the way now that um, we just keep getting these gifts. He just keeps giving them to us. And part of that is that the commands do come back to us, but now they're all carrot and no stick. Like there are, there are commands, but without threat. Um, now it's no longer do this thing or you're not saved. We're on the victory lap. These are just like little little. These are just gifts that he's giving us now that we're now that we've won. Um, now that he's won for us, we we just now get these gifts given back to us in a in a pretty cool way. Well, we're about to bring this conversation to a close, but we do have one final question. So we kind of want to just take everything we've talked about, wrapped it, wrap it in a nice little bow. So we're going to close with this question: What is discipleship? Yeah. So what I want for our life group leaders who are, who are listening to this one today, um, I want, I want them to begin to cultivate, uh, a basic law and gospel way of viewing the world and discipleship. So now that we've given the categories of law and gospel, um, as, as they go throughout, um, their their life as they go throughout their vocation and the life group there are things that are introduced to the christian 
um, things that in, invoke guilt or fear. And, and what those things are is those things are the law working on us. So right now we live in a law heavy world, especially with social media. Social media is like all law. We see these posts from our friends and family, uh, from random people. If we're like on Instagram following these people, um, where it looks like everyone is living these great lives. They look beautiful. Um, they're, they're getting new cars. They're going on trips, right? There's always this, um, somebody else has it better than me kind of thing going on. Um, and in context with our sermon series, our erasing envy sermon series, it's like social media is like an envy factory. It just like creates within us this realization that we have not accomplished all the things that we want. The problem is most of, almost all of those pretty much exclusively, those things are of the flesh, right? Things that our flesh wants. And so the laws working on us, even through that, that guilt that we feel or the inadequacy that we feel, that's the law working on us. Um, which is why I think in a lot of ways, um, our world really needs to just hear the gospel. The law is already at work. Um, they don't need to hear they're inadequate. They already know it deep down, um, which is why they're looking for pop psychology things that tell them they're good enough. But we all know deep down that we're not good enough. We all know deep down that we don't have it figured out and that we can't have it figured out. And so I want people, I want our leaders to be able to identify when the law is at work. Even if it's not a direct command from scripture, God still is using the law and using these kinds of commands. And the enemy also uses them too, to stir up within us guilt and to stir up within us envy and to stir up within us uh, a desire for what our neighbor has. So um, I want people to be able to recognize the law when it's at work. Um, in the world around us. And I want them to be able to recognize the gospel when it's at work in the world around us and when it's given to us um, and be able to give it to one another. Um, so being able to recognize when people are feeling guilty and recognize when the law is at work and being able to say to each other, I really think kind of the heart of Lutheran discipleship is being able to say to each other, hey, you are forgiven for your inadequacies. And you can't do this, but Jesus can. He can give you um, the things that you need and he can give you everything you need. Um, so I think that that's really kind of the heart of discipleship is that pattern of dying to yourself, realizing that you're inadequate, and then being given the gospel, being resurrected with Jesus Christ and putting your faith in that. There's a great book called The Hammer of God, uh, and it's written by a Lutheran bishop in Sweden. And um, there's this one uh, scene in that book where this young pastor goes out on this call because there's this prisoner who's dying. And it's, it's set in 1800 Sweden. And so he has to take this carriage ride out all night long to get to this guy who's dying. And um, he keeps talking about how he can't be saved. God cannot save him because he just sins too much. Even his even his repentance is self-centered. It's just because he fears hell. And this pastor, this young guy who's just out of finishing his doctorate work, he is caught completely flat-footed. He has nothing to say to him. And in fact, he goes through, he grabs this guy's Bible and he goes through and he's going to read a couple of the penitent Psalms, a couple of the Psalms that are about forgiveness of sins. And he finds that this guy's Bible is like 
worn at those pages. So this guy's already been searching through those Psalms and, and the pastor goes to the service book and he was going to find the order of forgiveness and that kind of stuff. And he sees that this guy already has like worn down those sections of the service book. So this pastor has nothing. He has no tools. He only has book learning and he has no tools how to deal with this situation. And along comes the neighbor lady um, who's heard that this guy's at the door of death. And she comes in and starts having this conversation with him. And he goes, I'm just, I can't be forgiven. I, I, I need to repent more. There are more sins that I need to repent of. And the old lady says to him, she says, you do not have need for repentance. You've already thoroughly repented. She goes, you need to have faith. You need to trust that when Jesus says something, it's true. And to me, that's um, a picture of discipleship. That it's this, it's this cultivation of trust in Jesus by letting God do his work on us, um, by revealing our inadequacies and putting our trust that Jesus has everything we need and that the promises are given to us. So that's discipleship from a Lutheran perspective. And I want our life group leaders to just begin to, I want them to be able to see that in the world around them. And I want them to be able to begin identifying that not only in scripture, but in the life of the believers in their life group and to begin applying those categories of dying to yourself, rising with Jesus, law and gospel. I want them to be able to apply those categories to the life of those in their, in their life group. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to a close for today. We thank you so much for joining us. This has been Pastor Ben and Pastor Eric on today's podcast as we continue this conversation about life groups or more broadly just discipleship and how they can bring transformation to your life. And so we will see you guys next time. 